Hello, you are listening to the very first episode of Chomping at the Bits. I know the phrase is champing at the bit. I don't care, and neither should you. Um, This is a show where we talk about old video games, what they mean to us, their history, and why they're important. So since we're kind of going in dark here, we talked about doing this show for a minute. I'm just going to lay down some ground rules as to how this show is going to operate to uh, start things off. So number one, easy rule uh, to qualify for discussion on here. Game has to be at least 10 years old. We're probably going to start most of the stuff we do at first is probably going to be much further back than fucking 2011. Uh, but I just think it's good to have a nice cutoff of what qualifies it for discussion here. Um, and as I might have already implied, we're not really looking for any real order here. It's just stuff we want to talk about, whether that be games in particular, people from the games media, uh, big events in games. But uh, that's really it as far as overall rules go and we we thought the best place to start would be the easiest the easiest uh starting point for games in terms of things people think of when they think of video games and that is the classic arcade game donkey kong um but before we get into all that it's time for me to introduce who's here talking with me on this show this new show uh i am rich meister obviously uh you might know me as the guy who yells obscenities on the Chompcast every week and I am joined by one Raymond McGill, uh, who is a writer over at SwordChomp.com. Ray, what's going on? I thought this was going to be about Pong. I did all my research about Pong. You said, "Yeah, we tricked the, you." We... Think of the idyllic video game, and I thought <laughs> Pong. <laughs> I thought Brick Breaker for my smartphone. <laughs> it's like everybody knows that game or Snake. Yeah, Snake, Flappy Bird, the big ones, you know, Oregon Trail for the Apple II. We'll get there. We'll get there. Holy crap. Would actually Flappy Bird qualify for this? Be- yeah, te- technically would. We could do an episode on Flappy Bird. I, I mean, that's actually Flappy Bird. <laughs> no, the, the, the story itself is actually kind of funny, but, you know, not what we're doing here today. <laughs> I played Flappy Bird in VR the other day because I found it in a browser while I was on Oculus. What? Um, and I, I played Flappy Bird in VR and I was too good at it. So I just had to eventually stop. <laughs> I played Flappy Bird at round one last week. That's what? a really weird specific they have it there? store. Yeah, they have an arcade version of Flappy Bird. Yeah. I thought, no, because now I'm curious. No, I'm not talking about it. This is a trap. It's classic entrapment. I was going to be like, I thought the guy took it away, like took his rights away, and that was the <laughs> end of it. This is how we side door into a Flappy Bird. Yeah, I was the like, gover- I can't do this. <laughs> the government owns Flappy Bird now. That third voice you're hearing is one Eric Ortiz. Some of you might know him because he used to do a another podcast with me called the Gecko Games Cast. And if you're wondering what happened to that, we decided to do this instead because we're both so fucking busy all the time that this once a month podcast that requires extra, extra hours of research sounded like more fun. And we actually both wanted to do something like this for a very long time. Eric, what's going on? I gotta be real, I was pretty excited about this one. It's fun to do hours of research for just games that you really hadn't researched previously. It really is. You learn weird shit, don't you? Yeah, you really do. And uh, did not do any Pong research, can't talk about that. But we could talk about Qbert. All your research was on Qbert. I sent you both misleads, so I would come off as... I sent you one documentary about Donkey Kong, the other one was about Qbert, and you just said choose on the the subject line. Well, it was a deliberate trick. I wanted to come off as the smartest person here, so I just sent you guys false leads. Well, that really is the only way you could come off as the smartest person is by misleading everybody else. I I know myself, so exactly, exactly. Good point, Ray. Know Um, myself. I know myself, and I'm I'm a, not a fancy lad. I'm not the smartest lad in the room, unless through trickery and deceit. It's not a bad way to be. Yeah, it's all right, though. So thanks for being here, guys. Um, I hope you're ready to talk about one uh, Donkey Kong. And this this conversation will be focused on the arcade game. Um, not to say we might not branch into some other thoughts, but things like Donkey Kong Country and all the crazy places Donkey Kong has gone since are totally on the table for episodes I'm sure we will eventually do. Well, I mean, um, Donkey Kong Country, I'd rather talk about good games. Uh, well, Ooh. I mean, see, you're you're, yeah, you're at odds with us there. Um, unless the only good game you want to talk about is Donkey Kong Country 2. I'd rather talk about that Donkey Kong Junior math game. We're going to talk about that. Don't you worry. That's, that's episode two. 
Yeah, I mean, even talking about where we first got exposed to Donkey Kong's worthy of talking about. Yeah, but that's that's where we're gonna start. Um, so I'll I'll carve us right into this. Um, the easiest, the first place to start is where you first experienced Donkey Kong. When were you first introduced to this game, and uh, what what grabbed you about it? If it grabbed you at all, and this time we'll we'll start with you, Eric. Um, first exposure to Donkey Kong was not the arcade game. It was actually to Donkey Kong Jr. from Super Mario Kart. And I was incredibly confused because, well, I was actually just thinking that his name, yeah, number one, he was wearing a tank top, which was very nice for a kart racing game. I felt like the breeze would have been nice for him. That was a very smart choice. Um, Second bit, I just thought that that was Donkey Kong's name for the longest time, Donkey Kong Jr. Um, So it wasn't until my cousin had Donkey Kong Country that I saw actual Donkey Kong. And then finally made my way back toward the arcade game, which was also a different iteration of Donkey Kong. So I went through like three different Donkey Kongs before even understanding which was the true Donkey. And I don't think any of them were. Here's the interesting thing. Um, Depending on who you ask, Donkey Kong Jr. and the Donkey Kong from Donkey Kong Country are the same Donkey Kong. Don't, don't, I know, I know, listen. They definitely are. I'm a self-proclaimed Donkey Kong lore expert. I don't want to get into that now. I know much We're more gonna, about Donkey Kong's history than I should, but uh, yeah, I, I learned that Donkey Kong Jr. was just—he was just a cog in the bigger wheel of the Donkey Kong family tree. That's all I got to say about that. We're gonna be definitely doing an episode on the Great Kong Wars, obviously. Uh, <laughs> when do you think Kong Wars in history <laughs> in the as history taken books by the Hyrule Historia? When when, when King K rules, uh, you know, <laughs> reign came to an end. Um, when do you think Donkey Kong Jr. traded in his tank top for a necktie? <laughs> At what age was it time? Is that a I tank think top a, or a onesie? I thought it was a leotard. Um, you know, yeah. like I, I figured it was more leot. Like I, I think it was a leotard. But I, I think, think he traded it in. I think he must have done it somewhere in his adolescence. I think Cranky Kong again. Not getting into this lore of this. I think Cranky Kong at the time. Had told him he has to, you know, grow up, and therefore he gave him a tie with the DK on it. The rest is history. It's pretty nice. There's no way he made the tie with the DK himself. It must have been a gift. So I, Funky I can't Kong really so vain. Funky Kong really is the black sheep of the family with his jean shorts. Then we don't we don't talk about Funky Kong. Yeah, this guy Donkey Kong Jr. is wearing a leotard. That yeah, that makes more sense when you say that. Like, I, I think when I think of his sprite from. Uh, from Mario Kart is the thing where you can't see his legs. I just think of it as a tank top. It just has a J on it, which is even more confusing because why? For for, G- for Junior. Junior. Yeah, but why wouldn't you just put D or DK? I guess it's because his dad is Donkey Kong or JR. Yeah, then, yeah, why not JR? When I see his name is J, I'm like, oh, look, it's James. <laughs> we have to James Kong. We have to get all the James Kong. He needs to fix this. It's Jimothy Kong. Oh, ew. Yeah. I just found um, another image of Donkey Kong Jr. However, it's not in a leotard, and it's just a t- crop top, so his bottom is completely... Ex- you know, the point Turn is- safe, search on. Turn safe, search on. Well, the, the link is actually marked Donkey Kong Jr. Uh, Super Smash Bros. 4 fan fiction. I, I don't like that. I, Excellent. I um, before we dive into Super Smash Brothers fan fiction, that's a conversation for another episode. Ray, uh, same question posed to you: When when did you first experience the glory that is Donkey Kong? I have to imagine it was renting it from Blockbuster for the NES because I am old, and I'm pretty sure I then at some point purchased it at a Funko Land for what I can only imagine was like a dollar forty nine. They paid me to take it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I walked out the door with those old ones. Well, that's just theft, and yes, yeah, <laughs> and yes, um, that's what happened. <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely played it like as a young kid, like sure, six, seven years old, probably. I was bad at it then, and it turns out I'm bad at it now. Go figure. Oh, um, don't say that. It it was the same age bracket for me, probably six or seven, and it was more along the lines of um, I I didn't have experience with the actual arcade version, much like you guys, uh, until I was older. Um, six or seven, I was lucky enough to be born into a house that already had an NES, 
And by the time I was like old enough to really be playing games, um, we had had a SNES for, for a hot minute. Uh, so I just had these carts already. Um, so like in the rotation of NES carts that were already in my house, Donkey Kong was one of the first games I got to play. I put a lot more time into Mario Brothers and things like that. Mm. But um, I enjoyed Donkey Kong. Um, it took me a while to piece together that that was Mario from Mario because I guess I was a pretty dumb kid. Uh, but also, I just I was way better at Mario Brothers than I was at Donkey Kong, which led to me playing a lot more Mario Brothers and uh, getting more time with Donkey Kong when I started kind of going to arcades as I got older and was that had a Donkey Kong cabinet, um, which is sort of the more enjoyable experience to try and, you know, because it's more fun when you have to pay for it every time you play. I thought th- I thought the same thing too. I was like, "Where's the fun if I'm not paying for it?" Yeah, give me more quarters, mom. I remember when I first saw that uh, Donkey Kong box art for the NES when I was younger, and I was just thinking, "Man, that monkey's throwing that barrel at like Mach five speeds." Because you could see the speed lines off of this thing, and I'm like, "This guy well, can't it, possibly yeah. survive it." That that covers anime as hell. Yes, yeah. speed like, lines going on. Even Jumpman yeah. is jumping. At the speed of light, you can just see it's like those after image effects from like Dragon Ball Z. It's incredible. He had to do what he had to do, and so much of that game is about like pure, pure timing. We'll get into that a little bit later, and in, in learning the speeds at which Donkey Kong is operating in different levels. Um, but with that being said, we should probably get into a little bit of the history here. So uh, that's going to bring us back to the '80s. So in '81, Nintendo was looking for a way to sort of uh, bust into Western markets more effectively because uh, they just kind of weren't seeing the same arcade boom that uh, they were seeing in Japan. So they decided the easiest way to uh, do this would be to, instead of sending brand new cabinets to the U.S., would be to take unsuccessful games that they had already shipped out there and sort of gut them and retrofit them. So they did that with a Nintendo was basically sitting on a huge number of unsold radar scope cabinets that were in the U.S. because radar scope was just not selling over there. I think it was like um, two thousand cabinets. I think they were something ridiculous like that. So they approached uh, who would have then been a very young Shigeru Miyamoto uh, to design a game, and Nintendo's head engineer at the time, Gunpei Yokoi, who I very much want to do an episode on Gunpei Yokoi on the show at some point. I find him fucking fascinating. Uh, was picked to supervise that project and the budget for development was around a hundred thousand dollars um and there's a lot of it's hard to verify this but i found a lot of people saying that ah, i'm gonna butcher these names tushiniki was involved in some of the development um that they played no role in the concept or like the general creation of it but that they basically were outsourced to give mechanical programming assistance to fix the software Nintendo had created. Oh, is this the guy that tried suing Nintendo? Yeah, yeah, and we will get to that. Yeah. Um, but, so, a lot of sources claim, and there's there's plenty of good reason to believe this, and I think Miyamoto has even been forthright about this, um, they originally wanted to create a game based on Popeye the Sailor, which was ridiculously popular in Japan in the 80s. Um, Which is weird, considering uh, the really racist cartoons Popeye produced in World War II about the Japanese. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, Popeye negged them, and they were just into it. They thought they could change him. What yes. the? It's like, if that's ended up being the true, the true history of it, it's like, what the hell? Yeah, I don't know what led to the popularity of Popeye, in, but are either of you familiar with Popeye magazine? Not no, really. well, if I actually told you I was, would you think of me the same? Like, would you think yeah. of me higher or lower? Listen, you sent me some questionable shit in the past, so... Uh, so, essentially, there was a uh, a popular woman's magazine in Japan called On On Magazine, and Popeye was... The Popeye magazine was essentially the men's version of it. It was basically a men's fashion magazine, um, and eventually there was even a woman's magazine equivalent called Olive Oil and then a, a different stylistic men's magazine that was Bluto magazine. So it's like a spin-off of a spin-off of a spin-off? Yeah, it's it's fucking insane and I 
there's enough information there for us to do a deep dive in that, but we won't. But feel free to seek out any information on Popeye Magazine if that intrigues you. Can you imagine um, you met somebody on the street and they were like, yeah, I'm a devout Bluto reader and I hate all other Popeye readers. I'm like, do you want to fight right now? <laughs> you, you guys go? are actual... I imagine he'd have a big pomp, and there'd be a bunch of guys following him around. I'm a Bluto stan. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a big Bluto uh, stan. The the Popeye DNA runs deep in that, even. Um, Ray, I know you had mentioned this to me off, off the recording here. Uh, the Popeye game that eventually came out on the NES is, like, really similar to Donkey Kong in a lot of ways. You probably know more about that than me. I don't know if you you could speak to that a little bit. Uh, it's it's a lot of platforms, uh, jumping over stuff, collecting fruits, and uh, I'd say the big difference is there's, like, a lot of, like, if I remember right, there's, like, birds dropping something on you, presumably eggs, excrement, who knows. And I think that is a take from the cartoon, because there is a specific Popeye cartoon. I could not find the name of it. Um, where the concept from Donkey Kong is essentially ripped from, like with the construction site girders and uh, Bluto, you know, trying to stop Popeye from getting to olive oil. Um, whatever happened here, I don't know how far along it got, but that licensing deal could not happen. So uh, Miyamoto was tasked with creating stand-ins for the characters, for new ca- original characters Nintendo could own. Um, so stand-in for Popeye was Mario or Jumpman, um, and Donkey Kong stood in for Bluto and Pauline for Olive Oil. Um, and now the main thing was this new project was supposed to sell in North America. It wasn't made with the idea of being super popular in Japan. It would be as well. Uh, but the whole point was they needed to break into the North American uh, market. So they pushed for an English name for the game, and Miyamoto ended up settling on an ape, because he the, the ape being the title character, because he thought it was the strongest character in the game. And then we get into the sort of thick of the weird rumors and stuff. There's a lot of urban legend around the naming of Donkey Kong. I don't know if you guys are familiar with any of them, because I think some of them are just so weird and out there. No, I, I know the about reading. the one that was supposed to be Monkey Kong. I knew I knew about Monkey Kong, and I did subscribe to that theory for the longest time, because it just made sense. I was like, well, it just sounds like a typo, Monkey yeah, yeah I, I think that being close makes sense, but it's a little too on the nose, I, is what I kind of always thought about it. Yeah, and Don- yeah. I mean, donkeys are stubborn. That's the way it was. Well, I mean, just listen to, you know, Gordon Ramsay yelled donkey. It's sort of same I meaning. Li- it's which came first, though, the Ramsay or the Kong? Um, uh, probably the Donkey say? Kong, because I'm pretty sure Ramsay wasn't cooking then. <laughs> Ramsay didn't start yelling at people until the late 90s. Yes. Imagine if that's uh, actually like on his wiki page too. It's like he finally started yelling and screaming at people recorded in the 90s. 19, 1996. Uh, but yeah, a lot of people connected to like a blurred fax or bad telephone connection led to uh, them thinking he was saying Donkey Kong or that it was just a misspelling that ended up getting printed on the cabinets. Uh, but a lot of people also say, and this one sounds more realistic to me, is that Miyamoto looked at a Japanese to English dictionary for a word that would mean stubborn gorilla. Or that donkey was meant to convey sort of like silly or stubborn. And Kong was obviously, we all know where Kong comes from, but it is a common Japanese slang for gorilla. Um, Even though a lot of people were, you know, genuinely worried about the whole King Kong thing. Yeah, well, I mean, mean, lawsuits are a real thing. I mean, look at Capcom and Street Fighter. Listen, none of that ever happened. So... Yes, with, with M. Tyson. Nope. Yeah, I mean, I, show me it in the history books. Listen, I, I I don't know what you mean. His name was always Balrog. You sound insane. Fair enough. I well, hope you enjoyed me gaslighting you on this podcast. I, I did, but I mean, we are talking about the '80s, so I am on a lot of coke. <laughs> that does make sense. You're in the spirit of uh, of the conversation. Exactly. So I mean, I totally believe the translation issue too, also, and how he just looked it up in a Japanese English dictionary and just said, eh. Let's it sounds it. like a Miyamoto thing to do to very much just kind of be like, what's a snappy word? Because it sounds good. And he was, again, looking for something to convey like stupid ape or something like that. Yeah, if, if out, of all, out of all these theories, I'd probably ascribe to just the dictionary. It's one at this point. I feel like if we were going to get the real answer, um, we would have by now. So the, the, the English to Japanese dictionary thing makes the most sense. Like the... Um, 
The blurred facts is the thing you put in a movie to make it more interesting. Yeah, always. But I, I always think it's funny too, whenever you have creators who make these IPs that grow to be something so immensely popular and you question them on it maybe like 30 years out later, like, oh yeah, you know. Uh, we were doing a lot of coke back then. like a translation error. Yeah, or like, man, and the real story is that they were just totally, he just looked in a dictionary and said, yeah, that seems fun enough. And the reality, they go, oh, yeah, you know, it dawned on me in my hotel room back in like 86, and uh, I was just crushing some coke, and uh, some guy said donkey, and I said, say that again. And he's like, donkey. <laughs> and he goes, and then it just finally made sense to me that we could use Donkey Kong. It came to me in a dream. The monkey yeah, came, came to me, me in an dream. absolute dream. Yeah, so I was at the zoo in Japan, and I was looking at the donkeys, and a kid said Kong to his dad, and I said, looked at the kid, and I said, say that one more time. And the kid just went, Kong? Donkey Kong. <laughs> yeah. that's, You'll never get the real story for these sometimes, though. That's it, kid, and I'm stealing it, and if you try and lawyer up on me, no one's going to fucking believe you. And the rest was history. Goes, that's right. Me, Miyamoto, is stealing this idea. And they shouted it and ran out. We watched it in the theater and be like, I don't think Shigeru Miyamoto could speak English. <laughs> it ends up being like uh, Tom Cruise or somebody playing him, just somebody completely out there. It's like a reenactment. They go, I did not sign up for anything. This summer, Tom Cruise is Miyamoto san. The king of. <laughs> the king, yeah, no. They, oh, they already used that title. I'm sorry. Come and um, see the whitewashing of Nintendo. <laughs> Rated R. Yeah, yeah. Oh my Progressive. god. We're we're backing that movie. We're we're gonna get credits on that. Um, the more interesting part to me uh, was going into that whole North American market. Um, most of the team uh, for marketing in Nintendo of America pushed back on Donkey Kong, and their main argument was that they didn't think it was similar enough to games that were popular in North America at the time, like Maze. Uh, Nintendo of America president at the time, Minoru Arakawa was adamant that Donkey Kong would be a hit. So he is the one who kind of helped to push along that idea I love uh, that. and get it into the U.S. I love that because I can tell you right now, I have access to so many video games. Not once have I ever played Maze. Maze that's because Maze sucks. And you can quote me you don't on have that. Maze? You don't have Maze in your home? I thought everybody had Maze in their houses by this I, point. I looked it up and it is not a game about corn at all. Wait, what? That's so disappointing. <laughs> I, I know, exactly. It's no, it's no wonder you haven't played it. I just thought it was a weird spelling error from a blurred fax and that they spelled it the wrong way. <laughs> Damn it. I, uh, it's at, a fir- at first, too, when I heard the game Maze for the name of it, I was like, who the hell would play that? But then I was thinking, May- in like the 80s if, or late 70s, if somebody just came out to you and said, hey, I got a game for you, and they go, Maze. That would probably actually blow my mind a little okay. bit, too, especially because there's nothing else like it just P- yet. Pong. Asteroids. Pong. Yeah, it's worth Maze. noting that when when Donkey Kong launched in the 80s, it was the most complex uh, arcade game of its time because it had four distinct levels. Yeah. Well, it, it was interestingly enough, too, um, I guess we could talk about this further on, but... I mean, if you go into the NES line of games, I think Donkey Kong 3 for the arcade classic is just a different type of level mechanic that they implemented for the Donkey Kong game. Like, it's, I think Donkey Kong is just, like, lifting himself up and just holding himself through the vines, and it's just a different kind of mechanic kind of game, but they kind of just switched the levels every now and again, so it was definitely unique at the time. Well, I think there they was took that from Junior. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely... Yeah, it went, it went from Donkey Kong to Junior to 3. Yeah, D- Donkey Which Kong 3 weird. also, and that could be like a whole episode in itself we might get to talk about at some point. There's a different version of Donkey Kong 3 that was sort of lost. I believe it was like a PC port uh, where you were playing as a totally different character and there was this uh, mechanic with a biplane and trying to like crop dust. Um, it's just, it's a very different game. <laughs> so it's a um, farm, farm simulator. Y- yeah, but like it's, it's like Farmville, but if a gorilla were trying to destroy your harvest. That kind of just sounds like a Facebook game, doesn't it? Though, but it was Don- it was a uh, Donkey Kong three, and it wasn't even a version that didn't come out. I think it might have been a PC port. There's, it came out somewhere at some point, and well, there is a playable version you can get. If it's Japan only, it's probably like PC Engine or something. I believe that is the case. I didn't I didn't do any research on that. I did just something I happened to know, um, so I don't have any real notes to reference on that. 
Oh, I, uh, thought, I thought somehow you you were going to say, oh, I went in my closet and I found a copy of it. No, that only happens with mostly Atari stuff for me. Oh, okay. If you want, like... Donkey Kong 3 is, like, the biggest flex on this guy's upper body strength. It's literally just him hanging on two different vine ropes for the entirety of the game. I'm like, this guy is out of control. Well, you don't get insane pectorals like that without putting in the work. They're, they're pretty well defined right here that I'm looking at this, so it kind of makes sense. Okay, get off DeviantArt. Let's talk about the game. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't. I can't leave. Uh, a little bit earlier, I had mentioned uh, Ikigeki, eh, Ike, Ikigami Tashinuki. I'm so bad at this Japanese name. Um, was the company uh, on the programming end of not just Donkey Kong, but a lot of early Nintendo titles. Um, and the main concern they had when Nintendo came up with Donkey Kong was unloading those 2000 uh, radar scope units with no willing buyers in a U.S. market, and now all of a sudden things had changed. Donkey Kong was a hit, and they just wanted to make more. Uh, so, well, actually, I'm going to interrupt you quick. I think I yeah. did, I did some reading at the test bars that they put Donkey Kong machines in because at this time bars were a huge source. Of- they were in Seattle. I, I have that somewhere in the notes here. They were making like sixty dollars a day per cabinet. <laughs> Yeah, which is insane. Well, considering um, it would have been like twenty-five cents per play, yeah, that's a lot. Y- there, the uh, the first bars were in Seattle that they managed to convince into taking the cabinets, and then after like a, a month, those bars just wanted more. Like yeah, it was an insane like, hit. They wanted like three, four, five cabinets like, per bar. They call yeah. they call Nintendo of America kind of Back to the Future esque, and they go, "Remember that new game you were telling me about? Well, listen to this." And everyone's just like freaking out about Donkey I, Kong I, in the back. It's your cousin <laughs> Yamauchi San. <laughs> <laughs> they go, "Oh, yes, remember that new Donkey Kong game? Check it out!" And they just it, have to buy a million more. If we hit a certain Patreon tier, we'll start recording reenactments of these historical moments. <laughs> just yes. completely dramatizations that yeah. did not occur at all. <laughs> Starting with that blurred fact scene with Miyamoto. Um, I always so, thought how cool it would be if you go into any bar, though, or whenever these were initially being shipped out, and you just had people initially playing them, and they go, yeah, it's the new Donkey Kong. And it's just a totally different game than probably what had been released out there previously. And well, that probably really did help itself to stand apart from all of that, because... It was just different, and that, it ended up just being enjoyable and difficult. Well, it wasn't and that's like what base. was so crazy. It that, That's what was so crazy, though. Like, the major concern, like, the marketing department had was that it was different. And I guess I understand the wanting to play it safe, but at the same time, like, why would you want just, like, another missile command or something like that? Like, make something different, stretch the medium a little, and that's exactly what Donkey Kong did. Yeah. Do you think that if it was Popeye... If they actually ended up going through with Popeye and Bluto and all that, it would have been nearly as successful as it was. I, weirdly enough, I don't think it would have been as popular in the U.S. I think it would have been more popular in Japan. There also would have been considerably no something. Mario. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like I was just thinking, like if, if they actually released a Popeye game and that was what had been released instead of Donkey Kong, I don't think it would have taken off as well as it did because Americans had something to associate with Popeye anyway, and I can imagine that it would probably. Not turn away people, but I'm sure not everybody would be jumping at the chance to play this Popeye game. Kids the in the kids in the '80s in the United States did not care about Popeye, to my knowledge. Well, I mean, you had who a, did? You had arcades, you had bars. I mean, with the bar, like a bunch of people are drunk, smoking cigarettes. Like, it's like whatever. I'll pop in a quarter and play this. But yeah, I, I think they pop in for Popeye. Well, no, I, <laughs> I think the unique art though probably would have drawn them in because, like, you guys. Popeye's a known quantity. You see Bluto on, you know, the side marquee, you're going to be like, nah. You see a giant monkey, you're like, let me try this. Yeah, what's going on here? What's, what, what is what's this? What's this all about? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Ray, you mentioned the uh, possibility of a lawsuit earlier regarding those manufacturing rights to Donkey Kong, and this is when all that kind of comes to a head. So, Nintendo didn't actually own the manufacturing rights to Donkey Kong, apparently. They did... The game was a Nintendo product. They owned the characters, the brand, all of that... But there was a development contract with, uh, I'm so fucking bad at saying this, Ikigami Tushinuki uh, had the exclusive rights to manufacture and sell boards to Nintendo for about 70,000 yen each. And their initial order was 8,000 units, and then Nintendo just stopped buying boards um, 
although the con- contract was like kind of shaky like they'll it was unclear with regard to actual copyright of the program and the code um and this hadn't really been an issue because video games were still really new um so it hadn't really been an issue in Japan for whatever this law was but Ikigami was named as the sole supplier of Donkey Kong boards uh and then Nintendo just started manufacturing it themselves they manufactured about 80,000 units without Ikigami's involvement and completely ruined their relationship with that company um and they had <laughs> the company that made their biggest hit for them um and then that there'd be a legal battle with that for like over 10 years but uh we're not gonna harp on that for too long really more about the actual like creation here which is they just sort of restructured the circuit board of Radar Scope and restructured it for Donkey Kong. So Radar Scope was designed for to have a lot more moving parts. There were a lot more enemies on screen. There was a lot it was busier, but not necessarily a more complicated game, but everything was moving faster and there was a lot more going on. Uh so they had to remove a lot of the unnecessary functions and reduce the scale of the circuit board. And the entire ROM chip was changed out to sort of change the graphics and change the existing CPU and the sound hardware. Mon- it used the same monitor, character set, scoreboard, all that HUD stuff was changed. Basic- but it was basically identical to Radar Scope at some point. And there's obvious palette differences if you look at those games side by side. Um, have either of you ever played Radar Scope? I never have. I have played it very no. minimally. I've played it maybe once or twice on like an emulator. Yeah, I just it's never. But if you, it's, I don't think it's a great game. Is the thing, and I and I understand why it didn't sell in the U.S. But the interesting part is where you can really see the retention. There is if you look at the HUD for Radar Scope side by side with the HUD for Donkey Kong, they're virtually identical, just kind of color palette swapped. No, I kind of Radar Scope. Oh yeah, look at that. Interesting. Beyond that, as far as like sprite capacity goes, uh, Mario and all the moving objects like the barrels, the fire, and all that use single sprites. Uh, Pauline, who's a little bit taller than Mario, uses two sprites, and Donkey Kong is the biggest character in that game, using a total of six sprites. This guy coming in using six entire sprites on the board. That bastard and big monkey. Ray sort of covered this already, um, but while America was still reluctant to take on Donkey Kong. Uh, two owners of bars in the Seattle area set up cabinets and they saw machines like even Ray was saying up to $60 at some point. The sources I found said about $30 a day, still which a is still even good. Um, a lot of money, yeah. So they requested more cabinets and at the Nintendo of America headquarters in Redmond, Arakawa, his wife Yoko, and a small crew gutted the 2000 plus radar scope machines and used the DK conversion kits to retrofit them themselves. And the game officially went on sale in U.S. markets in July of 1981. I love how at this time it was still possible to have like garage, like in your garage industries, like you just have these like few people gutting arcade machines themselves. At- it's more insane because at the time, like, Nintendo was already beyond that in Japan, but Nintendo of America was a skeleton crew oh, yeah. uh, gutting 2,000 radar scope cabinets by hand, and it's it's insane. Like, the president of Nintendo of America was one of the people retrofitting the cabinets themselves. Oh, and Rich, I had an Gotta idea. Get down and dirty with the rest. I have an idea listening to you try to uh, butcher those Japanese names before. Tell me. You should just get an actual Japanese speaker to dub over you every time you have to say a Japanese name. That sounds expensive. Yeah, could be worth it. So we could do it. So we'll pay. We'll pay out of pocket for that. Um, of course. I mean, obviously, from that port, it was kind of DK took off in America and would spawn Donkey Kong Country, all those fun things. Um, but console ports had to come not long after that. Um, it was a launch title for the Famicom in Japan, um, but it would actually come to the U.S. on the ColecoVision first, the console port, in 83. Uh, Coleco made an exclusive deal with Nintendo, and Donkey Kong came bundled with their home console, the ColecoVision. Atari had also shown interest, but Arakawa decided that the more established Coleco would be better equipped to handle the marketing for Donkey Kong. Have either of you ever played the ColecoVision of Donkey Kong? Because I have not. I've never played it. No, just looking not in any it, capacity. The color palette, though, like I just hate it. I looked at, yeah, I looked at like screenshots of it, and I just think it's gross looking compared to like true arcade Donkey Kong and the uh, NES version. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 
I mean, it's not as bad as, say, Pac-Man on the Atari, but... I have three copies of Pac-Man on the Atari. Would you like one? No. Plus, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong looks a little bit different in the ColecoVision one, unless I'm, unless I'm crazy. You might be right about that. I'm, little, I'm sure there's... Uh, a little different. I'm sure there's mis- uh, like concessions that have to be made because the ColecoVision was existing hardware. The interesting difference is when the Famicom was made, the hardware for the Famicom was specifically designed to recreate Donkey Kong. Look, like, that was their first goal yeah. with it. Given that success and they want to roll that success back into Japan, makes sense. Yeah, so that, the the true blue console version that most people are probably more familiar with, uh, released for the Famicom on July 15th, 1983 in Japan, and it hit North American markets on June 1st, 1986 uh, for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And the only concession that had to be made was uh, those console ports do not have the factory, uh, the cement factory level, and most of the cutscenes were, were removed uh, just to eliminate the constraints of ROM memory. So it just kind of wasn't big enough for it. Um, the Which... only other port I have any real notes about here is... Um, the uh, 1994 remake for the Game Boy because I just think that's such a good version of that game. That is mm-hmm. that is a good yep. version of that I game. That one. Yep. The, I that one. the Game Boy was like just in general, just like an expert at shrinking down, you know, console ports. Like in general, you look at you know Tetris, Mega Man, Donkey Kong. I think it did a good job pretty much across the board with that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I specifically remember uh, having that. I might have been like five years old or something getting that that uh, version i got that and my game boy playing a bunch of that a bunch of super mario land and a bunch of kirby's dreamland uh those were the the game boy hits of the day you know yeah yeah and it, no they still hold up today at the uh even looking at the donkey kong uh, game boy version even donkey kong looks different in this one seems to have changed looks every single now and again yeah, he. Well, the thing that's interesting is, like I said, he was the largest sprite in that game. He was a total of six sprites, mm-hmm. so definitely the easiest one open to change. And Mario stuff had already been on the Game Boy, so you kind of had a structure for what Mario should look like. I'm not. I love Super Mario Land, but when I think of Super Mario Land One, I'm never a big fan of that Mario sprite. Like I get that there's concessions for size and stuff, but there's something about it that I just don't like. Oh, he's like a dot. Oh, I know what the big difference is with the Donkey Kong sprite. It's the modern-day Donkey Kong. He's wearing the tie. Really? On, oh, yeah, and that's, on, in, and that's in Game Boy, too. Yeah, he's right. Yeah, Wait, in the, Cali- in the Coleco version, he's wearing no, the tie? No, the Game Boy one. Okay, the Game Boy no, one. Game Boy. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that... even on the cover art of Game Boy, he has the tie. Well, that makes sense because we were in a... Were we in a post-Donkey Kong Country world by that point? Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to say it just like that, too. Are we in a post-Donkey world? And I'm like, well, it's possible. Same, same year. Okay, so that makes sense. Um, they would have gone through that. Uh, Rare was working on that redesign for Donkey Kong, so it makes sense that they would have uh, changed the sprite to match. But now that throws off the entire uh, timeline of the Kong Wars. God damn it! I knew it. <laughs> damn it, Miyamoto-san! This, this is exactly why I didn't want to get into it, because you introduced <laughs> one little factoid, it changes the history, but that, I don't like it. I have to get my stand- fan fiction product Bible. Hold on. <laughs> and then you stand up and go, this is exactly why I didn't want to do this show! Just throw up. It's like, I told you, my agent said, don't talk about Donkey Kong or the Kong Wars. It's like, you made it so explicit. We had one fucking rule. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think the general design of the character, that alone is just an interesting, it has an interesting history behind it, depending on who was designing him at the time. That's pretty cool, though. It does have the tie. That's a, ni- a nice feature. And like I said, I think I might have played the most feature. Donkey Kong uh, I ever have on that version. And that is just a real good version. Though there is nothing I like more than in, in modern day, and maybe it'll happen soon now that we're in a post-COVID world, is going to Barcade and just getting blackout drunk and playing Donkey Kong. It's always a yeah, fun time. I'm still very humbled by... That game is still, I mean, at least to me, difficult. It's just a hard game as you go through it. It is a hard it's game. It's not that easy. Yeah, I was that's actually a quarter reader. Funny thing, uh, I mentioned to Ray before we got on here when I was kind of cooling down and polishing up notes this morning. Uh, I went out to pick up breakfast and then I started playing it on the Switch on the Classics Collection, and I actually beat it this morning. And before anyone calls me a liar, I was using that rewind feature left and right just to get my exact placement. 
I wouldn't call you a liar for that. Um, no, because there's no way I would have done it normally. And for the general structure of that game, I don't know how recently either of you have put any significant time into it. I mean, the main way that game changes is in speed and um, just how the sprites operate. Like, as you ascend levels, really, it's the speed at which Donkey Kong throws the barrels, the speed at which the fire moves, and... Um, in, as you get further in levels, Donkey Kong will start throwing barrels diagonally, things like that. But the overall structure is consistent. You have those two level archetypes, and it's get to the top, jump over barrels, smash them with the hammer, rescue Pauline. Well, that's really a testament to like how that simple game design is just so good. Because you learn everything you need to know in like the first two levels. Yeah. like And it just escalates. It's sort of and- like... You know, you see it in Miyamoto's design and games, you know, after that. Exactly. Like, it's... Onboarding is something Nintendo and Miyamoto in particular have always done so well. Even without, like, an era of, like, complex tutorials. You can, like you said, take, like, two runs at Donkey Kong and and kind of get all the moving parts. Yeah, it just iterates. Yeah, and even to... uh, And even at that point, yeah, just in in terms of continuing to iterate, um, Nintendo was pretty good at introducing a mechanic and then gradually building off of it so because arcade games back in the day as we know as we were playing them i mean they were for the most part quarter eaters and they were difficult to to high hell like they were meant to continuously get you to keep playing it but donkey kong at the time with similar games that nintendo was releasing they were pretty fairly balanced when it came to just learning about the game and kind of just taking you along as it went without feeling as if it was drastically unfair. At least that was my experience with it too. It's hard, and I still had some difficulty playing it even when I was younger, but I never once thought that the game was actively being unfair. It all it had like a pretty sophisticated system in it that was just so simplistic to just make it all enjoyable. And it wasn't that bad. There are there are points, especially as you get higher up, especially in that second the second level structure where Donk Young is throwing these springs. And um, there's a lot more moving platforms where you really have to get pixel perfect movement where you kind of need to stand yourself next to that final ladder and know the exact second you need to start moving to be able to climb the ladder in time to not get hit. Um, And that's when it feels most like a quarter eater. But at the same time, it's pretty surmountable. Well, I mean, Um, put it this way. There are people that are literally masters of that, which I think is a great segue into talking about about one the only hot sauce mogul uh billy mitchell as we all know him uh we're gonna talk about the king of kong um have you both i haven't seen the king of kong in years but i trust you both know something about billy mitchell ray i know you've seen the movie i don't know for sure if you have eric uh yes i do okay didn't they have it on netflix one time or am i crazy with that no, it was on netflix it might have been at some point it was definitely i don't know if it is now maybe no, it's a great. It's actually. A great I saw it somewhere movie. though. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a wacky history for Billy Mitchell. It, a in the past, history going on there. In the past few years, it's only gotten more interesting. Uh, but yeah. to <laughs> an introduction for that story is in 2004, Billy Mitchell achieved a Donkey Kong high score of 933,900 in front of multiple witnesses at the Midwest Gaming Classic. Um. So this is an excerpt from uh, the Oxford American in 2006 where David Ramsey described Mitchell as probably the greatest arcade video game player of all time. Um, And then we have a few things getting into the film here. The film was officially titled The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Um, And that was basically a documentary from 2007 where it was present day Mitchell trying to like go to events and have people at arcades like challenge him directly it it's kind of weird but he was like a a quote-unquote superstar at the time in the world of arcade gaming but even in that movie he kind of came off as like the villain and just a dick he is a villain that that's exactly i tell anytime someone mentions well anytime we're talking like once in a blue moon i can't even remember the last time somebody mentioned billy mitchell i can't stop thinking that he's just synonymous with being an asshole he's just an ass well, especially i, when I you was can... watching king of kong and i didn't like him well especially when you compare him to the other person profiled in the movie steve weeby like yeah he, yeah exactly like steve weeby just comes like the off duality such... of man yeah steve weeby comes off as such like a wholesome guy he's like i just like playing video games yeah whereas billy mitchell is like somehow trying to achieve world dominance through you know donkey kong 
and <laughs> it's coming in exactly like this is it this is the life or death situation for him and i'm thinking damn man like it's donkey kong i'm like he can't be like this don't and, and do then, it and then weirdly mitchell's like relationship with the high score world was tumultuous like for oh as long God. as i can remember because for the longest time after a while he sort of refused to do it in person and would submit videotapes to twin galaxies of him getting these scores and there were like days where new high scores would be set in and then the following day uh billy mitchell would send in a videotape where he beat it by like 40 points well and it started getting weird so well this is weird okay so twin galaxies as far as i've done some reading about them in preparation for this because it really is such a big part of it they had almost like a trust system where if you became like a high profile enough member of that community you became like you were able to mail in videos instead of doing it live in front of referees. Mm-hmm. So Mitchell got that level of like notoriety in the organization to where they were just like, yeah, we'll take Mitchell's word for it. Which seems like in, in retrospect, a mistake. Oh, a stupid idea. Um, Cause if we talk <laughs> about, <laughs> yeah. Uh, more recently. And I think the more interesting part of that whole thing is in 2017, uh, after being tipped off by some people within the organization, Twin Galaxies launched an investigation into Mitchell's scores, citing that they have been obtained using unofficial MAME emulators. Mitchell himself insisted that he never used MAME in his life. He didn't have it loaded anywhere in his home or anything like that. Um, and But Twin Galaxies continued the investigation, and on April 12th of 2018, Twin Galaxies announced that an investigation conducted into Mitchell's submitted scores found conclusive evidence that Mitchell used an emulator for the footage of his two high scores. And at that point, they removed all of Mitchell's scores from their records and prohibited him for, eh, prohibited him from submitting scores in the future. And subsequently, the Guinness Book of World Records released a statement that it would remove Mitchell's scores uh, from their records as well. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, just to build off that, in June of 2020, Guinness restored them. Yeah, which is the weirder part to me, because is did they cite any reasoning for that? They reviewed... This is from Wikipedia, which, you know, granted, but still. They reviewed past video evidence and other materials submitted. They could not find conclusive proof that improper methods were used. So it's more, we can't prove, you know, we can't prove one way or the other, so we're just going to take his word for it. Sure. Um, It's more interesting to me, because I'm wondering what Galaxies has, because Twin Galaxies still has not restored Mitchell's stuff. He cannot participate in any of their, uh, their record keeping at this point. And I'm just wondering what the conclusive proof on their videotape was. Yeah, you know what, though? To them. The funny thing is... Because they're more targeted. But nowadays, we have things like Twitch and stuff like that, so... That it matters so little. Yeah, like Twin Twin Galaxies, I feel like, is almost like a dinosaur in this. Some would argue that it never mattered. Yes, some would say that none of it ever mattered in the first place. um, They definitely mattered a little bit because of the documentary. Oh, yeah. For sure. Do you think... In that context, yes. It's time for the biggest uh, question of the podcast. Do you guys think Billy Mitchell would be the successful hot, hot sauce mogul he is without the help of one uh, Donkey Kong? No, but say... Fuck no. Absolutely not. Uh, of course <laughs> not is the answer, I, but... I've never tried his hot sauce, so I... I will be sending you each a bottle of his hot sauce for being on this show. I would much rather, I would much rather a weird American flag tie... Sure, I can get that. Honestly, yeah, if you can get me one of those, that's what I'm talking about. That's the stuff right there. I'm pretty sure he sells those like on this website. No doubt. It'd be one thing. It'd be one thing if he was a disgraced, labeled cheater. That's one thing. But it's the fact that in history, everybody that he sued, whether it was Twin Galaxies or others who were using his namesake or mocking him. He was countersued, and he lost every single time. So it's not a matter of just because, yeah, he was cheating, but it's also because every single time he goes on the offensive to try to protect his image, he loses the lawsuits. The man is an absolute disgrace. Yeah, when he tries to defend himself, things just get worse for him. Yeah. It's just terrible. It's, It's like, it's one thing, okay, you cheated, and we have proof of that, and that's great, but... Any time now in the future where he tries to countersue people, they just go, no. It's like, just sit down and go away. Yeah, Yeah, he just needs to stop. But on a more happy note, again, he was very much the villain of that movie to me. Oh, he is. The babyface Steve Weeb is still doing Donkey Kong. According to his Wikipedia page, on June 24th of last year, he broke the 1.1 million point barrier in Donkey Kong. So... 
my guy. He now has the 11th best score on Twin Galaxies website. I haven't looked into into this too much, um, but I am curious because I don't know if we figure out what the score threshold could be or if there's ways around that at this point because I'm sure you guys know Donkey Kong doesn't really have an official end, but in like the original Donkey Kong, there is what they call the level 22 glitch, which is the end of the game because within seconds of starting the 22nd level, Mario just dies. Yeah, it's the kill screen. Yeah. Uh, the literal kill screen. Yeah, but it wasn't in, it wasn't intentional. That's just when things get too fast for it to be playable. Yeah, it's, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know if there's. A, I mean, really, you couldn't do anything with the official hardware because then you're manipulating the hardware. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. But I don't. Yeah. I don't know the rules for how Twin Galaxies scores. I know, like they sometimes have boards for like here's this manipulated version of the original board that we're using or. I'm sure they've manipulated ones, but what people really seem to care about is the original hardware arcade specifically. Yeah. Like that's like the, that's the gold medal in terms of like what everyone's going for. So mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I'm not sure they're really like, there probably is then a hard score ceiling. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine. Um, but yeah, that is the, uh, unless you guys have something to add on Billy Mitchell, that is the tumultuous history of one Billy Mitchell. I just ho- I just think it's such a shame. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ray. No, I was gonna say I just hope he kind of just quietly goes away. I I really do. I agree. I it's such a shame because you know what? If he ended up just not being so egotistical, he could have been known as a game legend of beating several. I mean, it wasn't just Donkey Kong, I'm and he was for a while and several other games. Yeah, like he was a big deal, and I think if he just quite candidly just shut the fuck up and he could have just taken it on the chin and just said yeah and just graced bowfully graced his head and said hey you know other people are better i think he could have been held in such a different light in history for video games but now he just tarnished his image he just couldn't let it go he's 56 years old and he's still suing people about donkey kong i think and here's how i would (laughs) it's about if i were billy mitchell this would have been my defense everyone was yelling and i forgot the rules (laughs) <laughs> that's a good that's a good i mean good, good defense yeah throw uh, the case out you're right throw it out <laughs> well you heard it he forgot the rules um no it's as ray was saying earlier you have steve and steve is just honestly a guy who loves the game has an appreciation for video games in general and nobody i have a feeling and he's had his record he's had his record beaten i think in the past by when i was researching a plastic surgeon even though I never heard Steve going on a whole tirade. He just beat the record again, or he just wanted to play the games. Well, and yeah, now he's known to be pretty cool. So I, that's all it took. I wonder how much of that is that film, though, because to to Ray's earlier point, that movie paints Billy as the villain and paints Steve as the baby faced underdog hero. But the problem um, is, Billy Mitchell's real life also paints him as a villain. <laughs> well, it was yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> that's it. I'm not saying he's not an asshole because he clearly is, but like. It's one of those things of, like, after the movie launch, I like to think he just, like, he's living at kayfabe, and he just steered into the skid. Uh, he's like, this is what they want me to be, what they need me to be. It's like he's fucking He decided Batman. to play the part of the heel. He was like, let me be the heel since that's what the people want. He starts, yeah. starts wearing a mask in public to be Lucha Billy Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's all good to be open-minded on it, especially when you have media that's painting a specific picture of you. But yet he kind of took it, he took form to life. Like, he took that to life anyway, so... It, I don't know. I, I think it's just, it, it's stupid just because I really feel like he could have just been a retired veteran gamer in the world, could have been well-known in history, and everybody probably would have liked him a lot if he just had a better personality about it. He has but three he kids. just couldn't get over somebody beating him in an arc. Yeah, like, do you think, it's like, what? It's like my guy. Do you think Come when he on. announces a new lawsuit, like one of his kids are just like, dad, don't. Please, no. They go, please. Yeah, put the briefcase down. Stop. Nothing's even inside. I like, I like to think that his, his kids would have, like, good spurts of keeping him away from stuff, and then they just get home one day, like, hey, Dad, just stop it by to see what's going on. And he's in the back room playing the cabinet, like, Dad, please, no, not again. And he's like, I can do it this time, Ricky. I can do it. <laughs> or, like, at the family barbecue, it's like every single time as he gets older, like, oh, his kids are having, like, congratulations for graduation or something like that. And he goes... I remember when I was successful once, and they go, "Dad, please no." It's like, oh, no. stop. Goes, Are you going to talk about Donkey Kong again? Champ. He strikes me as the type who goes up to perfect strangers and goes, "You know, I'm pretty. I'm a pretty big deal around here." 
And they're just like, sir, this is, <laughs> sir, this is a <laughs> the bar system. As a dive bar where a Donkey Kong system is just a cabinet's in the corner of some dive bar from like this 80s. And he goes, you know, I'm a pretty big deal. There's, <laughs> a, goes, there's, a, man, there's a man in a Donkey Kong mascot suit that follows him around brushing his hair. <laughs> Luxurious. Yeah, he goes, he goes, brush harder. <laughs> but, you know... Whatever, man. That's fine. Yeah. That's the Billy Mitchell story. Yeah, you know what? Let's, the... let's get away from Billy Mitchell. Let's get away from Billy yeah, Mitchell is what I'm sure a lot of women said in the 90s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, what? Uh, so we, we covered really the history. We covered Billy Mitchell. Uh, Careful, Rich. He's going to sue you for slander. I probably. I'm sure he's listening to this. I was, I was just thinking that too, but I was like, but what if we won? <laughs> I like, think, but what if we won? What if what if Steve showed up and he offered? He's like, I'm going to pay your legal fees. I'm going to help you. We're going to stop he this. He comes monster. in. He comes out of the shadows when all seems lost, and he does a, a Bill Murray from Space Jam, where he goes, "Perhaps I could be of assistance." I'm like, Steve, <laughs> you made it. Uh, damn, Steve. The la- the last real thing I wanted to talk about, which is how I figured we would end cap a lot of these episodes, is. As far as um, significance of this game goes to the history of games, to where games have come from, do you think this is like a vital must-play, like something everybody who cares about games should touch at some point in their lives? I'm not sure it's a vital must-play. I think it's one of the pivotal moments of video games. I mean, yeah, it gave Nintendo a presence in North America. It introduced the world to the character of Mario. Like and Donkey Kong, which like yeah. both became big in their own separate right, and they still get together to drive go karts and play board games and tennis. Yeah, no, I'd say this is one of the most important games ever made. But in terms, of, I would like, say so. Am I gonna like go to like my eight year old niece and be like, "Hey, want to try one of the best games ever? Here's some Donkey Kong." Uh, no, I think not. it's. I think it's accessible enough that I would encourage anyone to try it a little bit if they have any interest whatsoever. Um, but like general awareness and like understanding what this meant for games and what games would become is definitely the more important part. Yeah, I think it's more of a historical foot, like more of a historical importance than a practical importance today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think my, I think my drive to introduce people would have definitely been impacted had I been around when that was initially introduced into the states, because then I'd be able to just say like, hey, yeah, this was the biggest thing when it came out, but. These days, I would always encourage people to at least if we were if you were at like a barcade or something like that where it just was there for sure at least once just try it. Pop a quarter because in, it, yeah. it is a piece of as we said it's a piece of history. Um, it's the same thing as like I would encourage people to play the original Pac Man. Just do it. I think it's a piece of history. I think it's something that's still enjoyable to this day. Um, and it's just cool to try. You know, you don't need to walk away and be like, I tried Donkey Kong for the first time and all that kind of stuff. But nobody it's cares. Just an Billy. interesting little bit. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's Billy because I was there for the first time. But it's just something that I think people should at least give a try. Because it did, as Ray was saying, introduced a lot of different things. It was Mario, it was Donkey Kong. It just had a lot of a lot of roots in history to just be fun and be popular. Was it Pauline? So that Nintendo, alone is worth it. Was it the first platforming game? Huh. I, I, no, it couldn't have been. It might have been. been. That's a really good question. You think so? I'm going to live on air uh, do a little interesting check. Yeah, I type into Google first platforming game. It says Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong, yeah, look at that. Good point. Somehow we we, we got through an hour without mentioning that. Yes, that incredibly important point. I mean, you get... it's a testament to how much history is surrounded by behind this game. It's not just the fact that that means we could have been in a world where Popeye would have been the first platforming game in the world. That's just that's an insane that's, premise. It's weird to think about now, actually. I, I like Popeye. That's I, what I'm saying. Just think about that, Popeye. I like to think that there wouldn't have been hammers in Popeye. There would have been cans of spinach, and then he just beats them with his biceps. I think that's actually what that's actually what you do in the Popeye game for the NES. You get the spin. Yeah, that's and terrifying. You punch. <laughs> but no, no, I don't want it to be a punch. I want it to like he's literally oh, coming like down ha- with just ha- the bicep. It's like a karate chop, but with his massive bicep. So like his arm would be like upside down like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You get it. As as we start to explore different site, different pieces of history, especially as we maybe in future episodes go to Donkey Kong Country or stuff, I also can't help but just think what the trajectory of the game would have turned into because I doubt you're not going to have Popeye's country. What was that? But Pop- Popeye I'm so country. curious as to what 
Popeye, yeah, Popeye Country Kart. 2. Uh, yeah. Pop, Popeye Country I, but, 2, Olive Oil's Quest. Popeye and Smash. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I, it just begs the question, what would they have made at the time? Because yeah. that would have changed the trajectory of everything. If they did, then would Miyamoto have even been involved at that point? Because then he would have made Popeye and then that would have been that. Would he have made, that? Would he have made Mario? What else would have been a result? Yeah. Would Mario have been made? Would... Donkey Kong Country obviously become whatever other platform game that they would have turned it into, if at all. It just it goes through a much larger rabbit hole to dive down into, just because it ended up being Popeye compared to Donkey Kong. Well, it just yeah. shows the power of it's kind of crazy owning the IP. Like if you create the IP and you get to control yeah. every aspect of it, like you and, could turn. It to and that was you just want. the thing. Um, like initially they wanted Popeye for its popularity in Japan and its re- brand recognizability. And when they couldn't get it, they decided, well, we'll create our own characters as stand-ins. And that ended up being the best decision they could have ever made. There's literally a Mario theme park now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's insane. Exactly. That is insane. The trajectory to which a small little decision around that, even though at the time it was a pretty big decision, could have just changed the entire gaming landscape. And could have changed Nintendo, as we know it, oh, too. I mean- Nintendo very well may have not been popular at that time. And they may have honestly lost more money over time and they may have gone out of business who's oh, to say it's, it's more than that too it, like it's a series of small decisions not even just the popeye thing but it's just like oh radar scope sucks let's turn it into something else like Insta- yeah and like it again like that whole sunken cost thing is well we put all this money in getting these cabinets to the u.s already what if we just shipped like made conversion boards and conversion marquee art shipped them to the u.s instead gutted those cabinets? like it ended up sort of being a lot more legwork but it helped them unload this this massive like blunder they were sitting on in the states already. Yeah, no, it's yeah, thank, really thank just God, one, of the most, one of the most important video games ever made. Yeah, could not agree yeah. more. Um, so before we get out of here, do you guys have any other any other Donkey Kong notes you want to add? Any other things you think are worth mentioning that we haven't covered? No, but not really. I think I think it's just funny though that even though I'm not a fan of Donkey Kong Country, it's just interesting to see how much stuff you see Donkey Kong crop up in, like in other series between Donkey Kong Country, Donkey Kong versus Mario, those miniatures games, those are fun. Yeah. You know, yeah, March of the Minis. I think he's just I agree. I agree. He's so overstated but at the same time understated. And I was talking to a few friends even before we were doing this because I was saying, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about Donkey Kong. And it's so funny because thinking about when I was growing up and playing even Donkey Kong Country, I mean, I'm on I'm the total antithesis of Ray's opinion. I love Donkey Kong Country, but um, it, it's kind of wild how you think of Donkey Kong. And at first, you don't think he's kind of a big deal, but he literally is sprinkled everywhere. He's literally sprinkled all over the place. He's in Mario Party. He's in Mario Golf. He's just in every single IP that Nintendo releases most of the time in some shape or form, yet still has enough clout behind himself to build his own little universe from the Donkey Kong Country games. I mean, for what it's worth, Tropical Freeze is still full price all the time. Like, I've never seen... and that's That could be said of a lot of game. Nintendo They're stuff, to selling. be fair. I know, but I'm just saying, it still is... Like, it's still incredibly popular. Oh, and I and think it's worth it. That game is Donkey great. Donkey Kong's just a monkey, man. Yeah, yeah. It, he's just a monkey with a tie. Yet he's so predominant in every piece of Nintendo media. And what's the one thing that people wanted even when the SNES emulators came? They're like, we want Donkey Kong. Or even yeah. just, oh, we want a new Donkey Kong country. And the, uh, again, to talk, there. talk about how prevalent he is, um, we, we talked about Mario obviously getting a theme park. Uh, Nintendo had accidentally leaked plans for their eventual expansion to that theme park, and it is a Donkey Kong Country section. That's great. Which is incredible. Yeah, which is, like, it appeared it had plans for, like, there was a biplane down a plane, there was, like, Cranky's shop, and the ride was a, a minecart ride, naturally. Well, I was gonna say, if they made, like, somehow, like, a Diddy Kong racing ride, I would be all the way there for that. Oh, yeah. Did, I, I completely forgot about Diddy Kong racing, too. This is my point. Like, the spinoff of a spinoff. Branched, uh, yeah, the, sp- the ultimate spinoff to a spinoff. <laughs> the spinoff of a spinoff that also leads to things like Banjo-Kazooie and Conker. Yeah. The the web. I'm telling... This is what I mean. When you start thinking about it, when you start to consider, well, what if Donkey Kong just didn't happen? It it kind of is mind-blowing. There's it impacts games. And you know what? We, come. we just named a ton of games that might get covered in the future in this very podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows when, but we'll probably get to a lot of that stuff. 
Um, it's actually a great point. So just like how Donkey Kong was a progenitor of games, this episode is progenitor of many of what others. of what's to come. Um, so on that yeah. note, guys, I think that's a good place to cap this off. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, this is probably you're probably listening to this for the first time in the made feed for the Chompcast. Uh, but we're gonna get our own feed going once episode two is done. We haven't even decided what we're gonna do yet. We're probably gonna talk about that as soon as we hang up this call. And this is going to be a, a once a month podcast for the time being because it's research intensive and we all have a lot of other shit going on as well. But uh, I want to thank both of you guys for doing this with me because it's a lot of fun and you were you were the two people I thought of first when I decided I wanted to do this. No, this was great. I had a great time I doing this. It. Yeah, it so, was honestly fantastic. Thanks for really including. Of course. So on that note, I'm Rich Meister. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Thanks to Ray and to Eric. And we'll see you all next time. Have a good day, guys. Mm-hmm.